0: As was said earlier, we are going through this book by Dane Ortland called "Gentle and Lowly: The Heart of Jesus Christ for Sinners and Sufferers." Uh, any sinners in the building? Yeah, yeah. and liars. <laughs> um, I know that we we all sin in many ways, and we all suffer in many ways because of the sin in the world um, that we that we experience in our own hearts. But Dane Ortland does an excellent job of showing what the heart of Christ is for sinners and sufferers. And we know the heart of Christ is actually the heart of God the Father who sent Jesus for us. So the the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers, that no one will be turned away from Jesus who comes to him in humility. No one. There's nothing that can separate you from his love once you are in Christ, not even death. These are some of the things that the author talks about um, and, and, and shows through Jesus's life and even through the Old Testament prophecies. So this week, I'm preaching on chapter six from the book. I'm a little bit ahead of you guys in the small groups uh, where he talks about John six thirty-seven. John six thirty-seven. And it says this, all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I learned uh, through the book, you know, and then verifying it, you know, through the in the original language, this passage says something more like, "Whoever comes to me will never, never be driven away." So it's meant to be very emphatic. Um, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever drive away. Um, in other words, it's, it's very clear that God doesn't turn away people who come to him, but receives every one of us through Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is enough where we could end our service right here and go home because we, we're able, we are able to come to, to God right now through Christ, and he will not turn any of us away who come to him in humility. Uh, it, it is so easy for us to just fly on by a statement like this in the scripture. Um, without allowing it to really seep into our hearts, to go from from our ears to our brains, to our head to our heart. And these writings uh, in gentle and lowly, they're based on the on the Puritans. And uh, what I've learned from these Puritan authors, as I've been reading some other ones of them, um, that there is so much to be found in every word of the Scripture, and we are all about quantity over quality in our in our. Um, Culture, you know, we—how many chapters did you read today? How many times do you read through the Bible in a year? And we often lose that other piece of reading, which is to encounter Jesus Christ. Um, when Jesus says, "Whoever comes to me, I will never, never drive away," we breeze right, right through that. But this is an amazing truth. It's something worth reflecting on and thinking about. Um, something that we need to take into ourselves. I, I love the image in, in Revelation where. Um, a, a scroll is handed to, jo- to John and then he eats the scroll and it's sweet to his lips then turns sour in his stomach that whole strange kind of event you know that's something of like what we're supposed to do with God's word it's living active sharper than any double-edged sword and when we take this stuff from our, from our ears to our mind to our heart um, we, 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 we it becomes a part of us it becomes ingested into us so that we actually draw near to Jesus in our experience, not just, not just looking at what the scriptures say, but we look straight to Jesus. It's just like Jesus said um, to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, a lot of us are not refusing to come to Jesus. I mean, most of us probably aren't, um, but sometimes we miss an opportunity to draw near to Jesus because we fly through His Word too quickly, and we lose something really, really important in the process. So I've been learning from from the from the, from the author of this book uh, to slow down, to take a sentence of Scripture and just let it be digested into my life. This past uh, summer. Jackie and I bought a giant tent, which has been called the Taj Mahal by our friends. Um, it's a little bit complicated to set up and to pack away. And the, at the end of our family camping trip this year that we went on with the Rowarts, uh, yeah, it was really fun. I'd like to go back to that. But at the end of our camping trip this year, uh, when, when it, we were worried it was going to start raining, so we, we left one day early and we went through the tent. We found all of our items, took them out of the tent. And then we swept the floor of the tent. Then we folded up the tent and stuffed it into the bag that seems much smaller than it was when you last did this. We finished packing it up before we had realized that we'd left one thing inside of that tent. And that was our car keys. We obviously did not take up enough time when packing up the tent to make sure we got everything out. And we lost a key inside of our tent as a consequence. And I think the same thing is true of reading scripture. If we fly too quickly through scripture, we might pack up, close the Bible, and lose a key that Jesus wants to give us that will unlock the next level of our spiritual development with God. I just don't want us to miss Jesus this Christmas season, to miss what he's offering us, because it's, it's awesome. We must read the Bible in order to encounter Jesus Christ in our lives, not just simply reading it for the sake of reading it or for the sake of trivia. And this passage today reminds me of our great need to dwell on that verse or two of scripture as we encounter God. I talked about this with my wife. You know, we, we were talking about this a couple couple weeks ago. There is so much value in, in having a discipline of reading through the Bible in a year and getting that big context. It's very valuable. Sometimes you read through the Bible not because you feel like it, but because you know that there's treasures in there that you you will need someday in your life. Um, That's true. But uh, at the same time, my my fear is not that we read through the Bible too much, but it's that we read through it too quickly. We need to slow down. So here's our verse once again, John 6, 37, of which this whole chapter is based. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And what if you believe that? What if you could share that with conviction with somebody who needs Jesus and say, look, I know, I know things are looking really bad right now, but go to Jesus. He doesn't turn anybody away. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He won't turn you away if you come to him in humility. This passage, there's so much, there's so much in it. Um, but just to give a little context to, to that verse, in John 6, 1-15, first of all, Jesus feeds the 5,000-plus people using only five barley loaves and two small fish, which he does, borrowed from a young man in the crowd. You know, Jesus saw this big crowd coming towards him, looking for him to teach them, and the first thought that he had was, these people are hungry. They need something to eat. He, he cared about that need in them so, so deeply. And then he fed them all miraculously with leftovers. I mean look in your fridge and look at your Thanksgiving leftovers. That's a picture of God's grace in your life. There is leftover. Uh, there's there's so much more than we even know. And the this this great miracle of feeding the five thousand plus people. Um, what what they what they said was surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This was the, their conclusion. In verse 14, you know, at the time of this amazing miracle, feeding the 5,000, uh, messianic expect- expectation was very high. People, the uh, Jewish people were under the thumb of Rome, and they did not want to be under the thumb of Rome. They didn't want to be paying, paying taxes to Caesar. They wanted to be free. They wanted to have what they could have had in the promised land, which is being a sovereign nation with God as their, as their king. But unfortunately, because of the way they lived out their story, they ended up in captivity in Rome. And as as was shared, this 400 years of silence where there was no prophets between the end of the New Testament and Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, had people had looked into the the scriptures and they found all of these passages that pointed them to the Messiah. In the way that we we look back to Jesus, they looked forward uh, to, to, to a Messiah coming. And so when they said, surely this is the prophet who came into the world, you know, they were thinking time for the political empire of of Israel under their new king to overthrow the the Roman rule and to be free and sovereign once again. Jesus knew their thoughts. And so he withdrew because he he was not going to be that kind of king. He was not going to be a political messiah, but a spiritual messiah, bringing people out of like, like, a, like a spiritual Moses delivering people from slavery in, in Egypt and to their sins. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts were all about making him the king, he withdrew from them and went to a mountain. Whenever you see Jesus going to a mountain, it's because he's going to meet with God. So once again, Jesus, not confused about his mission, knows what his, his destiny is. He goes back to God to, reaff- to reaffirm that. Meanwhile, the disciples got into a boat and headed towards Capernaum, and the in a large storm overtook them. It says in the text they were four miles from shore, and Jesus walks out in the water. What was those first four miles of walking like? You know that's been that must have been pretty pretty something for Jesus, but um, they finally took them took him into the boat in our text in John. There's a little more detail in the other Gospels. So uh, by the time they make it to Capernaum. The crowds had also found boats and made their way to Capernaum to be uh, where Jesus was. And we pick up uh, today's passage in verse 25. It says, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? About 4.30 p.m., he said. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 26 Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The signs that Jesus performed were just that. They were signs with an air, big arrow on them pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. So he's saying, You missed the sign, but you enjoyed a good meal. Um, and they, they say, Well, what, what, what do we need to do to, to do the works that God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in Jesus, that's the work that God requires. Um, they, they were looking for something much more material, something much more, uh, if you will, uh, physical. Something that we can do to get to God. And Jesus says, he undercuts all of that work stuff and says, you know, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. Jesus knows the heart of every person in this crowd. Jesus knows they are are looking for him not because they they saw the signs pointing to him being the Messiah, uh, which clearly pointed to him and his identity, but they they, they, they are looking for him because of the sensation of a miracle, and the feeding of the five thousand people. Jesus tells them not to work for food that spoils or a momentary miraculous feeding, but to work for something much less sensational but much more meaningful and the quote is do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him god the father has placed his seal of approval he admonishes the crowd to eat the food that endures to eternal life which he himself will give to each person in other words Don't just follow the sensation of these miracles, the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. The miracle is meant to actually point you like a signpost to to me, being God's approved messenger. And that is why Jesus tells them instead, do the work of God, which is to believe in me, to read the sign, see where it's pointing, and believe in Jesus. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And again, believe in me. Very simple. This is a great reminder for us as well, I think. We also need to move sometimes beyond sensational things and to remember that our work in life is simply to believe that God sent Jesus for us and receiving all that Jesus wants to give us by his Holy Spirit, whatever he wants. You know, what we can do to do the works of God is up to us, but what Jesus, uh, giving the Holy Spirit, is up to Jesus. God sent for us and he wants to fill us with his spirit it's as simple as coming to jesus no matter what miracles he does or does not do in your life Um, whether life is hard or easy whether there is suffering or peace no matter how much we might have wandered no matter how much we may have lost our way to come to jesus that's the work of god come to him we must remember that our primary work as disciples of Jesus is simply to come to him with an open and contrite heart and to believe that he came for us, to believe that he will not turn away anyone who comes to him in humility. Verse 28. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the work God requires? I read that, sorry. Um, The crowd you know, misses the mark of what Jesus is saying to them. And they say, what sign will you give us that we may, we may see it and believe you? Now, keep in mind, he had already done a sign for them in the feeding of the 5,000. So they said, what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father, Gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If our faith is based on just the next answered prayer, the next miracle that we're looking for in our lives, if our faith is based on the works that we can do to earn God's approval, uh, we are always going to be um, disappointed. This crowd was already fed miraculously by a few loaves and fish, but they still want another sign akin to the sign of manna in the wilderness at the time of Moses, when God miraculously provided a strange food for the Israelites to eat uh, in their sojourn when they came out of captivity in Egypt, they want to see a sign like that. He says to them, The man in the wilderness was only a shadow of what God has now done in fullness, sending Jesus into the world. And in fact, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never go hungry, whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. Jesus is quoting a prophecy about himself in this passage from Isaiah 55:1, 1, where it says, all, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost, a free gift of God. Once again, the work of God is simply to believe and come to the one who he has sent, Jesus Christ, who will satisfy your spiritual hunger and your spiritual thirst who will make atonement for your sins and walk with you daily. Jesus is is teaching the people, and us as well, don't live from miracle to miracle, don't live from answered prayer to answered prayer. Simply come to God, believing that he sent Jesus to you each day in all things. It's as simple as coming to God through coming through the one he sent, Jesus. Sadly, this is, this is not enough for the crowd, and it often is not enough for us. Picking it up in verse 36. As I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come, I have come down from heaven, not to do my, my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. The crowd had seen Jesus, yet they had not believed. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. The crowd had seen the signs and wonders, the miracles. And these people had even been fed by one of those miracles. They had felt hunger pangs in their bodies and felt the literal satisfaction of their physical hunger being satisfied by physical bread that was miraculously provided by Jesus and was meant to be a sign pointing to Jesus. But instead, the people craved another sign before they would believe. Jesus is saying, Remember when you were physically hungry? Yesterday, (laughs) and uh, and how and how I fed you. Remember how satisfied you were with the food that I gave you yesterday. How you ate until you were not hungry anymore, and how after your hunger was satisfied, there were still twelve baskets of leftovers. I was teaching you something yesterday with this miracle. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never be hungry again. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst. So. Come to me. You know, the work of God is not hard. It's not complicated. The work of God is to simply believe in Jesus and come to him. It's a free gift. And once again, we see an echo of what Jesus has been trying to say to us all along in our extended study of Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The crowd here heard Jesus saying things like this, and they were always responding by complicating it and asking other questions, insisting on asking what other things God could do to, to wow them. Uh, this is this is the phenomenon of taking Jesus and adding stuff to Jesus, which is the spirit of religion. Jesus plus works. Uh, Jesus plus, you name it. Jesus encourages us, don't add anything to my work. Come to me. Come to me. My work is sufficient for you. Believing in the one that God sent, Jesus Christ, coming to him to have your hunger and thirst satisfied and overflowing within you. And as the scriptures say, welling up to everlasting life, the living water, the bread of life. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But the crowd still doesn't get it. So they begin to grumble at Jesus. It says in verse 41, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? The as faith is beginning to rise in the hearts of many people in the crowd. Satan begins to do his work of deception and accusation that he's doing all the time. He begins to sow seeds of doubt about what Jesus is teaching in the midst of the people. And the deceiver reminds the crowd through the voice boxes of the people around them, that Jesus was just a person whose parents everyone knew. Therefore, he can't be the bread of life sent from heaven by God. Jesus knows their thoughts, and he rebukes them. In Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except the one, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Now, what he's saying here in this gentle rebuke is likely meant to to strike a a, a discord in the hearts of people that are doubting, to strike fear in a way, healthy fear. You know, Jesus is essentially saying, fine, continue to not believe what I'm telling you, continue to attempt to discredit me and my mission, but remember this unless you are drawn by the Father, you will be lost. Now, no more of this. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Eat and drink from me and never thirst again. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. After this rebuke, Jesus shares what he is offering when he says to come to him and receive the bread of life. He does this by quoting another Old Testament prophecy about himself in Isaiah 54, 13. It says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace the future messianic kingdom of Jesus, it says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. It seems to me that this Old Testament prophecy is just another way of saying Jesus, what Jesus is saying to the crowd. The work of God is simply to believe in Christ and come to the one he has sent, Jesus, who will teach you all things and give you peace by his spirit. That's why... Um, it says in in the epistles call no man teacher but the holy spirit will teach you all things god's holy spirit now god's salvation work is always a mysterious union of god's god's choice and sovereignty and ours god is mysteriously very much in control and sovereign over salvation yet uh, where it says no one can see the father unless god draws them but also It says, anyone who comes to Jesus will never be turned away by God. Anyone at all who comes to Jesus will not be rejected. So God is working, and we are working by believing in the work of Jesus. And whoever comes to Jesus will never be turned away. Dane Ortland says in our book, the only thing required to enjoy such love is to come to him, to ask him to take us in. He does not say, whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or regret or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin, whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts, he says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. This is a promise that is provided to answer all the objections that our hearts can muster, the the objections from the the crowd, um, the objections that uh, the enemy lobs at us. No matter what objection you have, It keeps you away from coming to Jesus. This phrase, whoever comes to me, I will never, never drive away is an answer. I love this this quote from C.S. Lewis um, where he said of Jesus, his compulsion is our liberation. His compulsion, his desire to, to save us is our liberation, our freedom. I encourage you to simply come to Jesus yourself this morning. Now come to him and offer yourself to him, warts and all. Jesus does not require that we take a bath before we are showered with his grace. He wants to clean us. He wants to take care of us. Come to him just as you are in humility. Jesus' work is to save and sanctify us. Our work is simply to believe uh, believe in Jesus whom God has sent and offer ourselves to Jesus daily. I had a friend who many years ago, God was doing an amazing work in his life. And uh, it, was, it was astounding. You know, this is a guy that has no Christianity in his family. Uh, he's just, just someone that I met. And uh, I brought him to church, and he, he was like riveted by the message. And when he was at his home, he had an experience where he said, I met God in my bedroom last night. He was weeping, crying, and just experiencing the Lord. Um, and unfortunately, as he began to count the costs and hear what God is calling His people to, and coming to Him, you know, he ended up walking away from that work that Jesus did. The offer from Jesus still stands for him. And it stands for all of us um, to come to Him, and He will give us rest. What I'm trying to say is that there's so many, there's so many ways in which we are tempted. To walk away from Jesus, to abandon the faith, um, we are we're afraid of what He might ask us to do. We're afraid of what He, what He might do in us. Maybe we like our lives the way they are. To you, Jesus would say, "Come to me, um, even with your fears, even with your concerns. Come to me, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and desire to give you rest for your souls." Um, there is a hope that does not disappoint, and that's the hope that we have in Jesus. So, no matter what the cost, no matter what objections you have in your mind, just come to Jesus this morning and offer yourself to Him as a living sacrifice.